For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom video conference. Governor Stitt kicked off the 2023 legislative session with his first state of the state address for his second term, and he laid out several agenda items, including tax cuts, education, and others. There's a lot to unpack here. So, Neva, let's start with you. What did you think of the speech? Well, no surprises. I mean, it was a little over a half hour speech. Uh, He basically, Governor, talked about the things that we kind of set up last week, saying would likely be the the key topics, uh, school choice, tax cuts, and then these additional education reforms that the governor's keen in on. There were other things, but that that was the big takeaway. And I think in terms of kind of the governor's um, plan, which I think by all accounts, people would say is a very ambitious plan, nothing unique for a governor of state of the state uh, message. Um, I, th- I thought it was fascinating on a, on a couple of points. I mean, one in terms of the school voucher uh, question and the fact that this is going to be prominent in his entire uh, entire discussion this session, he really, uh, he, he did a couple of things. He said, one, that the voters uh, gave him a mandate uh, and on school choice in the November elections. And he went back and he, he actually brought in former governors and tried to broaden this conversation of it's not just uh, Governor Kevin Stitt pushing school choice, but uh, 30 or 35 years ago, uh, Governor Henry Bellman was doing the same thing in one of his state of the state messages. I thought that was a an interesting kind of pivot and trying to uh, trying to kind of broaden that conversation. In terms of how he set that up from a legislative perspective, I found it interesting that House Speaker Charles McCall very quickly. Um, issued his release uh, talking about the governor's state of the state and basically said, look, uh, the House is the one that's proud to have led the way on education reform and that the, the House is interested in continuing that. But in his words, it was basically words to the effect of, you know, we're interested in education policy that works well in all parts of the state. So you have to assume that's a clear signal that this uh, discussion about rural versus uh, urban schools in, in the school choice conversation. And then, you know, talking about the fact that they uh, had been as the House, uh, the Republican House leadership and members, been very interested in addressing inflation the tax issues, infrastructure, uh, workforce development, uh, rural broadband, all of the things the governor also brought out. So we know the issues. Now we have to get into the weeds and the details of how to tackle these. And there's some very stark differences of opinion uh, on the House side, on the Senate side, and certainly where the governor has kind of laid down his uh, mantle on where he wants to focus. So a lot more that we could say about this. I'm sure Ryan uh We'll have some other perspective, mm-hmm. but I, I found no real surprises, more just a conversation of let's continue basically from each each legislative body and the governor and executive team in terms of where they want to move this session forward. Ryan. You know, I think the first real surprise is the lack of a combative tone that the governor had with the tribal leaders that were in uh, in the audience. I mean, you had representatives from many of the state's most powerful tribal nations, uh, in many instances, they're, they're heads of government. And in past state of the states, uh, Governor Stitt has used this as an opportunity to talk about McGirt, uh, talk about 
juris, uh, tribal uh, sovereignty and jurisdiction of the state of Oklahoma. Um, and he didn't do that this year. I mean, there, there was a, a brief nod <clears throat> to the tribal leaders, but uh, there was no mention of McGurk. Uh, and perhaps this uh, signals uh, a possibly a possible reset for the governor going into a second term with tribal government relations, which would be welcome, I think, from all Oklahomans, uh, but especially the, the tribal governments themselves. Another mandate, he didn't call it a mandate as such, but another mandate that he mentioned was criminal justice reform. Uh, he talked about the fact that uh, he had closed four prisons during his term, uh, that people had been being released from prison and uh, going back into the job force, that we had uh, one of the, if not the uh, lowest uh, recidivism rates in the nation. Uh, you know, the governor was heavily attacked during this last campaign on criminal justice, on his criminal justice reform positions. And I think many of us in the criminal justice reform world uh, were concerned that that might uh, lead to a backlash on criminal justice progress in the state of Oklahoma. The governor won re-election and he doubled down on the state of the state and uh, his team, uh, speaking with some members of his team, they seem to indicate that he's ready to continue to move forward with criminal justice reform. On the tax side, it, uh, it was interesting to kind of watch the uh, watch how the, the, the folks uh, were standing or not standing. Uh, Greg Treat did not stand for the income tax uh, applause line. Uh, and um, the, uh, the the House Appropriations Chair, Kevin Wallace, did not stand for the grocery tax applause line. So mm -hmm. uh, I think that what you're seeing there is that there is going to be this continued conversation and negotiation between leadership and the governor's office over what kind of tax relief Oklahomans are looking at this year. I think you're exactly right about the, the tax cuts, because the three tax cuts that have been prominently mentioned, the elimination of the, the uh, sales tax on groceries and then the cuts to both personal income tax rates as well as corporate income tax rates, I mean, that's a $655 million bullet if, if you were to pass those as outlined by the governor. So we know that there's going to be a lot of give and take on that. And I think what will be very interesting is on the issue of the um, the sales tax on groceries. I mean, we know that that there's a real division uh, in the legislature on this. Everyone everyone would like to say that it's something you know you would like to get done, but the devil's in the details. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm reminded of a conversation I had um, late last year after we had this conversation uh, on the show about the, the grocery sales tax. And uh, the Mustang mayor, Brian Greider, um, contacted me and, you know, and he, he made a, a few interesting points that sometimes I think have gotten lost in this conversation, but clearly are going to be part of the legislative discussion. And that is that he really uh, hits his contention, as I guess with other mayors, that when you look at this, that the, the sales tax, that they believe that there should be an entire overhaul of the tax the tax structure period in the state before you start removing the the grocery tax and the reason they contend is that if you take it off at the state level the next thing they're going to come back for is to remove the city portion and you know you've got a lot of folks that when you start throwing that out there it's it uh, it sounds attractive until you look at the case that, you know, particularly in Oklahoma, I mean, we are one of, I think, 50 states, literally, that uh, the cities survive solely on sales tax. So, um, you know, this becomes a real source of contention. We saw the Municipal League and ACOG, the uh, Association of Central Oklahoma Governments in the past, uh, uh, resisting uh, the, the grocery tax conversation. 
just taking into account the impact on the cities that uh, uh, and the implications both short term and long term. So again, a lot of these conversations that from a from just an average voter standpoint, it might sound like a no brainer and let's just get it done. You have to look at how this debate will progress in terms of all of the implications with all of the all of the entities cities, municipalities, counties, uh, state, all of the players when they get in the mix of what what the ramifications are when they start talking tax cuts. I think there's a great appetite in the House. Speaker McCall has made it clear this is one of his high priority areas. Uh, the governor's made it clear. But as you say, Ryan, uh, uh, Pro Tem Treat has still uh, been largely resistant. And certainly many of the, the things that he has said, he's telegraphed his punch over and over again that this is, uh, if not a non-starter, a very difficult hill for these folks to climb on that issue. And Ryan, one of the issues that Governor Stitt had made clear was his belief that trans rights are going to be on the table as well. Which you know is incredibly disappointing. You have you have a, an otherwise you know, soaring speech uh, from a governor who's reelected with a with a wide mandate uh, to do some you know really big challenging things in the state of Oklahoma. Yet his administration uh, continues to target a very very small number of Oklahomans and Oklahoma families uh, that are dealing with legitimate medical issues. Uh, let's be very clear: gender dysphoria is a medical issue. It doesn't need to be decided by governors. It doesn't need to be decided by lawmakers. What we really need here is, is leadership from our from our elected officials to welcome those individuals into society, to make sure that they are, feel protected and safe uh, and being exactly who they are and that they have quality access to health care. Uh, the, the guidelines as to whether somebody should receive hormone treatment or whether they should ultimately receive gender reassignment surgery, something that in uh, all but the most uh, rare circumstances happens well after a person has reached the age of majority. Uh, but but those decisions should be made by doctors. Um, and I think that, uh, that the overwhelming support for trans people in the state of Oklahoma that we saw at the Capitol during the state of the state uh, was, was very impressive. I think that uh, it's an important signal to the trans uh, Oklahomans and, and the people that love them. Uh, that they that they do have a community that's out there fighting for them. Uh, and hopefully lawmakers will say it, it's time to stop scoring political points on the backs of a very small and politically vulnerable population. I say politically vulnerable. They're not vulnerable in their in their own lives. They're, they're powerful people, but politically they're vulnerable. And, you know, to pick on them, uh, such a small population to gain uh, widespread political support by checking a box uh, is disappointing. Neva, Ryan had mentioned that they, McGirt was, did not come up on this speech, which I think was one of the first times in, in a couple of years. But also there's been talk from tribal officials that he also didn't say necessarily anything good about the tribes and their economic impact in the state of Oklahoma. Well, and I think, I mean, I think that is noteworthy. I mean, clearly the state of the state is an opportunity for any governor to make a case uh, to recognize uh, uh, accomplishments, achievements, working partnerships, uh, to uh, 
to uh, uh, kind of put the olive branch out in some cases, uh, but none of that none of that occurred. You're you're absolutely right, Michael, in terms of uh, the tribal leaders, in terms of things coming up, and yet there will be some some issues like we uh, like we've talked about before, sports betting and other things that will bring all of these players to the table. I think the backdrop, obviously, in my mind, also is you have this new attorney general who's being very aggressive and having a real honeymoon, I think, in terms of uh, uh, the uh, the things that he's laying out and the reaction and reception he's getting to that, by and large, in the in 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 the public. And so I think the fact that uh, we don't know how that relationship is going to really evolve between the governor's office, the governor and and the AG and, and his folks. But uh uh, it, it leaves a lot more questions than answers, and I think this is something that uh, everyone is going to watch with a great deal of interest. State Question 820 to legalize recreational marijuana is getting opposition. Late last week, a coalition of community, business, and law enforcement leaders filed paperwork to create Protect Our Kids No 820. They also announced former Governor Frank Keating will chair the organization. The vote for state question 820 is March 7th. So, Ryan, how will this impact the race? Well, and, and full disclosure, I, I think folks by now know that I'm a senior consultant on the Yes on State Question 820 campaign, Oklahomans for Sensible Marijuana Laws. We knew that there was going to be opposition at some point. Uh, you know, Every recreational campaign uh, around the country has had some sort of opposition, and they all use about the same uh, scare tactics playbook, um, and we're seeing that unfold here as well already. Uh, in, in fact, uh, former Governor Keating, it, it surprises me that somebody who is otherwise a generally well-liked governor would use his political capital on this and then uh, make uh, some statements at, out of the very gate uh, that are just false. Uh, he's, he's you know alleging that, um, that State Question 820 would make it harder to prove child neglect uh, against parents or harder for judges to remove uh, children from dangerous situations. That is absolutely false. That is absolutely not true. Uh, the, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that the language uh, in State Question 820 mirrors existing language. I want to be very clear that judges can protect kids from dangerous situations today. They'll be able to protect kids from dangerous situations after State Question 820 passes. Um, and, you know, I think that the, the question needs to be raised. About one in 10 Oklahomans right now has a medical card uh, and use cannabis uh, legally. You know how many of those hundreds of thousands of children are, are is the gov- as the former governor proposing the government seize from their families? Uh, you know we have demonstrated that Oklahoma families can use common sense and protect their kids uh, at the same time as uh, as accessing this product. And then if you listen to folks like Steve Kunzweiler, who's also part of the opposition campaign, he's the district attorney in Tulsa County. I mean these the words that he's using. We're literally arguing uh, that the ability of Whole Foods to sell wine and beer is going to cause a public health emergency in a crime wave. Uh, these aren't the voices of reason of the 21st century. In fact, if they had their way, I don't think that they would stop with prohibition of marijuana. I think they'd go back to alcohol and try to throw tobacco in there as well. Um, but the big news about State Question 820 this week, uh, this last week, was the uh, the revelation of the uh, economic impact that State Question 820 uh, could have on the state of Oklahoma if it passes. Uh, $821 million in revenue over the next five years, about $400 million of that new revenue from recreation. And after five years, the state of Oklahoma, from a conservative estimate, would realize about $100 million in annually recurring revenue. You want to protect our kids. 
we take that money and we invest in education, we invest in healthcare, we invest in mental health. That's how we protect our kids in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, you know, these I, I trust Oklahomans to look at these scare tactics for exactly what they are. Uh, they never bear out in the states that do pass recreational marijuana. What does bear out are the revenues and the investments that those states are able to make in their people. And it's our time right here in Oklahoma to do the same thing. Neva, less than a month before the election. Uh, is this a, too little, too late for an opposition well, day 20? I, I think it's I think it's going to be interesting. We are talking about three weeks, basically, yeah. till the till the election on March 7th. That's a short fuse for both sides. I mean, you really have no campaign uh, engaged on either side. I mean, at least in kind of the broad public arena. And it gets down to what we always talk about in politics and campaigns. It's all about turnout. Mm -hmm. And when you have a freestanding election where folks have to be motivated to go out to basically check one box, um, that that takes typically some real grassroots organization to be able to turn out whichever side you're on in terms of the issue. And so I think the fascinating thing, even though they're weighing in late, with this uh, Protect Our Kids No campaign, No on 820 campaign, what it does mobilize is the potential, I think, with the um, with the Oklahoma Farm Bureau uh, as part of this coalition, is that you do have a natural constituency among a lot of rural voters. Uh, many of those, uh, even though this is certainly not an issue that's Republican or Democrat, if you can mobilize identified folks, you know, to turn out on multiple issues, then you have the opportunity to also um, engage those same folks on this issue for March 7th. So, um, and we know the issue in terms of uh, the out of control or described often as out of control uh, illegal marijuana growing operations. I mean, this is something that rural farmers, rural uh, communities have been very concerned about. It came up over and over again in the uh, the fall election campaign of the uh, the fact that. Uh, the, the difficulty and the challenges that were going on there and and the fact that even when you hear from folks at uh, uh, the State Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drug Control, I mean, they talk about the just, I mean, the sheer numbers. I mean, 800, I think it was, I read, illegal uh, marijuana uh, farms that they had uh, that they had deactivated and that that in essence was oh more than a half a million joints and so it's not only the impact on the uh, state and what what uh, the debate is here but it's uh, it's these linked uh, crime networks that that law enforcement is talking about that uh, the farm bureau and other uh, entities in rural Oklahoma are talking about and the impact that it's having by and large in communities so the message on both sides, I mean, they clearly have their talking points. They clearly have their ability to uh, drive a message and get an audience. Can they turn those folks out is going to be the big question. If it gets down to low turnout, who does that favor? I don't know. I mean, well, I think we'll probably see some polls in the next week or 10 days, probably by one or both uh, uh, groups uh, trying to uh, set the stage and say that they're they have a lead or they have the ability to uh, uh, be successful in the election. But uh, we've talked about recreational marijuana for a long, long time. Now we see we see just weeks away the opportunity for Oklahomans to make that decision. And I think on the issue of uh, how much 
the dollars that it comes into the state that that you're talking about, Ryan. I think one of the things I have heard, you know, over and over again, just kind of coffee shop talk would be, you know, some skepticism when you start making that a core argument piece because they they oftentimes will throw on the table well we heard that when the people passed the lottery that we were going to have all this extra money it was all going to go to education all these good things were going to happen out of and yet the the actual dollars that were suggested never really materialized in 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 the in the timeline that uh, the proponents uh, of the lottery when it passed um laid out so a lot of fascinating issues, a very compressed time frame, and I think we'll uh, we'll know in another week or so whether either side is really going to start gaining some real traction and momentum, who is more successful on getting on the airwaves, and ultimately who can drive out their own vote. Well, you'll start to see A20 on the airwaves soon. Uh, you know, the, the lottery issue, I, you know, I, I tell folks, kind of tongue-in-cheek we didn't have a medical lottery first uh to be able to uh kind of gauge what our revenues might look like but we've also had the experience of looking at several other states that have had recreational programs our economists that have uh, worked with us to build this economic forecast that they've taken that into account i i feel very confident in the, the numbers that we're putting out and in fact uh what we've been cautioned many times before is that these are conservative estimates. When we're talking about 100 million in annual, annually recurring revenue five years out, these are conservative estimates. I also want to mention, as a, as a rural Oklahoma myself, uh, you know, I applaud, you know, the governor mentioned you know, cracking down on illegal grows. Absolutely. The H20 campaign applauds the crackdown on illegal grows. And I'll just tell folks the best thing that you can do, whether you're in rural Oklahoma or urban Oklahoma, uh, if you want to crack down on illegal operators, you vote for state question 820. We're going to give the state more resources, more enforcement power. We're going to give new tools to law enforcement, important tools to law enforcement to be able to uh, delineate between who are the folks that are playing by the rules, uh, following the law, and who are the illegal operators out there. Uh, by expanding uh, and regulating marijuana to those who are 21 and over, we'll still keep the medical program. I'll keep my medical card. But allowing those other folks 21 and over, whether they're from Texas, coming up to Hoshatown for the weekend, I'd love to be able to take those Texas tax dollars and put them in Oklahoma schools. That's what we're talking about. And when we do that, that is going to be a devastating blow to the black market in Oklahoma. Well, it's another week, which means it's time to talk about Attorney General Gettner Drummond again. He is uh, he's putting another investigation on his jingle. plate. I know we, we do. We need a Drummond jingle. I, th- I think we talk about him recently more than we do talk about the governor. But uh, he's got another investigation on his plate. Uh, Drummond is planning to investigate the legality of the Veterans Commission overhauled by Governor Stitt at the start of his second term. Neva, what are your thoughts on this investigation? Well, I think it's interesting. One, um, it, it appeared that on Monday you had these uh, uh, veterans who made what was described as a surprise visit, unannounced visit to the uh, attorney general's office. Uh, he listened. Um, he certainly asked, I think, uh, a lot of questions. Uh, they asked the attorney general to file a lawsuit challenging the validity of uh, the governor's appointees to the Veterans Commission. Um, it was interesting, and I think not a surprise, that the AG did not commit to pursuing legal action. He he clearly is going to uh, take a look at this. And when you, you know, as we've talked about before, I mean, there are some fascinating uh, questions that they are that they are bringing up that directly uh, refer to the statute. I mean, that the statute clearly says uh, basically that one of the requirements in that statute related to the Veterans Commission is that at least one Vietnam veteran 
uh, has to be on the commission. I mean, and 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 as it should be, the largest the largest uh, veterans demographic. There are more Vietnam vets in Oklahoma veterans uh, than any other uh, any other any other group. Uh, World War II, Korea, Afghanistan, Iraq, all of the other uh, things that could be mentioned. So to not have a Vietnam veteran. Uh, on the commission currently, as it has been constituted by the governor's new appointees, um, they're really calling that into question, as is uh, uh, Joel Kinsel, who has sent a letter to uh, uh, the Veterans uh, Commission chairman uh, right now, uh, Robert Allen, and basically saying not only are you not lawfully appointed, but two of the other members are not lawfully appointed. And his contention is that you have people that um, that are supposed to be representing specific groups outlined in the statute, and yet uh, these folks are not active members, or in some cases, maybe not even members of those uh, specific veteran service organizations that they supposedly are, have uh, been placed on the board to represent. So there are a lot of swirling, uh, confusing pieces of information, um, things that uh, certainly someone needs to sort out. It would appear that the attorney general is a logical place to start. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and let's also uh, the, let's also say that uh, you have Gettner Drummond, who is a former, as we've said many times on mm -hmm. this program, a former uh, Air Force fighter pilot. I mean, so he certainly is a veteran himself and certainly can, um, you know, I think uh, want to take a look at this to the, the in the appropriate manner that is prescribed for the attorney general's office to to do that. So uh, again, the skirmish between the governor and and the attorney general, at least in terms of an issue that they're going to have to sort out that they're diametrically uh, different points of view on in terms of the veterans bringing this to the AG's office, in terms of the governor really doubling down and not being uh, interested at all to have a conversation, at least to this point, about uh, suggesting that there are going to be any, cha any changes in his appointees at this point. Ryan. Yeah, I agree with, I uh, agree 100% with everything that Neva just pointed out. The importance of these veterans going to the attorney general is that the law requires uh, that if you're going to challenge these appointments, if you're going to challenge this appointment process, it is very limited in who can bring that challenge. Uh, and, you know, one of the you know, three individuals uh, that are empowered to bring that challenge is the attorney general. Uh, and I think that if, if you're thinking about what's the difference between John O'Connor and, and Gettner Drummond as attorney general, I don't think that you really have to answer that. I don't think you have to ask that question very often these days, but um, I don't think that this veterans group would have had an audience with attorney general John O'Connor here. Uh, and because Gettner Drummond won that primary, they had an audience. Now, whether or not he uses his statutory power uh, to be one of those individuals that could bring a challenge uh, to these appointments. I think that that remains to be seen. I, I trust that uh, his office is, is reviewing that carefully. Uh, and I, I think that he'll make a decision according to the law. Uh, I think that there's, there's always a good chance that whatever decision he makes will play into the politics uh, between the attorney general's office and, and the governor's office. Uh, but I, I, I truly think in this matter, especially as it touches on veterans, and I know that that's something that is uh, very important to the attorney general, uh, I, I think he's going to look at the law. I think he's going to make a decision. And once he does, he's going to charge forward and, and do that. I, I, you know, again, this is this is the, the Gettner Drummond show. And uh, and it is uh, I, I don't know. And, and even make break. I don't know of, a, of another statewide official who has taken office 
uh, and not just with with bluster, but with with actual action, have has done so much uh, in their first uh, few weeks on the job uh, as the attorney general has. Uh, now, you know, I'm sure he'll do something that I don't like at some point, but. Uh, boy, he does so many things that you know it, it might outweigh it. Who knows? Uh, you know, this this is a this is a very active attorney general. He's very independent. You know, I've been out at the Capitol the last few days, and you know, even talking to Democrats, uh, you know, who you know, he's in the opposite party, uh, but they see him as a man of integrity and independence, and uh, you know, they uh, they are they're grateful to have an independent voice uh, in the attorney general's office, as are I think a lot of Republican legislators as well. Well, you know, it's interesting. The attorney general, all the issues, these big issues that have been in the in the news at the forefront on his desk were issues that he knew he knew he was going to have the opportunity to uh, dig in on uh, long before he even walked in the door as the sworn in official attorney general for the state of Oklahoma. I think what we see and what we've seen in the last several weeks is that the attorney general clearly put together a team and did a lot of homework and did a lot of prep work long before they were officially in office. So they they by all appearances, have been a team, and the attorney attorney general has been someone who wanted to hit the ground running. So um, he's someone he hasn't been in government. He uh, this is his uh, uh, first time uh, in office. So it's certainly uh, you know there's a learning curve in any in any position, uh, particularly these uh, statewide offices that have so much attached to them in terms of duties and responsibilities. But clearly. Uh, being able to have a transition, be able to hit the ground running, and uh, and and be able to start to address all of these very complicated but very serious issues that need resolution. I mean, when we talk about the veterans, you're right, Ryan. I mean, it is something. I mean, these these folks. Uh, uh, we're talking about the impact and the uh, interest is virtually in every household in the state of Oklahoma. And that word will get back. This is not something that just is inside the, the halls of the state capitol and no one really pays much attention back home. You have you have all of the major uh, veterans groups in the state represented and their constituency, their folks across the state, they're able to quickly communicate. And I think what we're seeing is a lot of interest developing and whether that will um, whether that will become uh, outright lobbying or groups coming to the Capitol or doing whatever uh, they deem appropriate to try to bear, bring pressure on the situation and get some resolution. Um, I think this first meeting on Monday where these folks came to the attorney general's office may be a precursor of more of that to come. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. The programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at donate.kosu.org.